You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to have you here at Rail City Campus. One of the things we've been doing across our campuses is inviting up somebody to read the passage uh, for the message. And so today I'm going to invite up Reed DeMello, uh, who I've known since he's 12 years old and he went to our youth group and now he's being a part of Rail City. And so he's going to come on up here and read our passage for today. So come on up, Reed. <clears throat> Hey guys, how's it going today? So I'll be saying uh, Matthew 5 says 8, Blessed are the poor in your heart of they will see in God. Well done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, reader. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Thanks for reading that, Reed. It's awesome. We've been in a series called A New Humanity. And uh, we've been talking about what does it mean when Jesus gets a hold of our life? Uh, what are the things that begin to happen in our hearts? What are the different ways that we start to look like and act like and behave like when Jesus comes into our life? And, uh, and it's in a series that we've been following Jesus' message, the sermon that he preached on a mountainside in Galilee to the masses nearly 2,000 years ago. And if you've been here before, you've heard me say this, but this message really uh, has affected ethics, um, what people believe, laws, uh, the way that people see the world. And for followers of Jesus, it has really given us direction for our life for nearly 2,000 years. Some people have said it is the greatest message ever proclaimed. And we've discussed how... um, Jesus people or followers of Jesus, when they start to recognize their deep need for God, they begin to mourn over the state of the world. They become meek, showcasing humility and gentleness when they desire to be right with God and others and the world around them. When they start to show mercy. And today we're talking about this new quality, what it means to be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What a profound, profound quality and promise for us this morning. One of the ways that um, we've been translating this is that when we get in sync with God, and I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I want you to get this idea. When we become in sync with God, when the gospel grabs hold of our heart, what happens? Our heart begins to become pure. And then out of that, there's this promise. For those of us who are pure, we will see God. There's really two things here. What it means to be pure in heart. And what does it mean to see God? And here's what I want to do for us this morning. I want to start with the second thing, the promise, which is a little unusual if you've been here for the last couple of weeks. We always start with the quality and then we go to the promise. Today I'm going to start with the promise and then I'm going to go to the quality of what it looks like to be a Jesus person. And I want to start with this idea of seeing God. Now, for those of you who have some background in Bible and things like that, and I'm not assuming you all do and you don't need to in order to be in one of these seats, the idea of seeing God is actually a pretty remarkable one. Uh, in fact, some have said that if you were to see God, you would die. Uh, this is something we see in the scriptures. And so even Moses, he only saw the back of God. 
Uh, he, he could not look into his face because there was something God is so holy, he is so pure, he is so great that if we were to look at him, we would, we would fall over as if dead or if, if not die. And so this is pretty remarkable that Jesus is giving this promise this morning that those who become pure in heart will see God. This is an incredible promise in a list of incredible promises. If you remember the, the first week we talked about those who are poor in spirit, they will receive the kingdom. We talked about those who mourn will be comforted. We talked about those who are meek, they will inherit the entire earth. Uh, we talked about for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Incredible promises. The merciful will receive mercy. These are all incredible promises, and, and, uh, but, but this one of all of them, I think is quite remarkable. The ability to see God that one day we will see him face to face. Now, for some of us, maybe we're not sure we believe in God. That's okay. You're welcome here as well. You're not sure if there is a God. You're not sure. You hear a promise like this. How can I see God if there is no God? But the thing that I find very interesting about the Sermon on the Mount and this promise in particular is this is that as Jesus is preaching this message and he starts out with the Beatitudes and he gets to this one, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Something very profound was happening right in that moment. The promise was actually being fulfilled in that moment for the pure in heart who were in attendance. They in that moment were actually seeing God. Now, some of them didn't realize it, right? They just kind of were like, oh, you, you know, here's another message. This is some interesting teaching. Some actually probably were quite uh, confronted by the message. Some of them probably got angry from some of the things that Jesus said and walked off. But those who were in the audience who were pure of heart, we'll talk about that later, they actually, in that moment, the promise was being fulfilled as they looked into the eyes of Jesus. Um, whether you like it or not, Jesus said some pretty profound and really remarkable things about himself. He said that he actually was God in the flesh. That he was God among us. That he was God with, you know, fingers, toes, nose, hair, lungs, who was breathing air, who was walking in our midst. But it's only the pure in heart that as they behold him can actually see that quality within him. We do know that the crowds at the end of this message, when he was done preaching, it says that they were all amazed at his teaching. They realized that something remarkable was being said and something, uh, something incredible was happening before their eyes. They said, they said they were amazed at his teaching for he taught with one like who had authority unlike the other religious teachers of the law. So everyone who was in attendance did walk away with some kind of like, wow, this is different than the teaching we've heard. But it was only the pure in heart who probably in that moment were realizing they were actually looking into the eyes of God. A remarkable thing. But what about us? Right? I'm certainly not Jesus. I think you all... 
Y'all got that, right? Uh, my wife especially knows this, right? Uh, and uh, so today as I read this passage, and as we read this passage, you are not receiving the promise in that moment. So what about for us? Can we actually, those of us who are pure in heart, see God? Is this really possible? Some of you even just reflecting on your week and some of the things you did. I'm not sure I'm pure in heart. Can I see God? Important questions. There are a number of different ways I believe that we can see God. We can see God today, but the Lord has to give us eyes to see in order to notice them. The first is this, and I'll put these up on, on the screen. The first is through the scripture. We see it through nature, through the least of these, and through other followers of Jesus. Can we see God today? Well, it, you know, it's interesting. I was talking about um, the idea of seeing God. And this week, we actually got a request from this Brazilian Christian spiritualist group uh, at our Mariner campus to rent the facilities. We thought, wow, they're Brazilian Christian spiritualist group. Okay, well, why not? But we started looking into uh, their beliefs and into their practices. And one of their key practices is actually they, through this process of drinking this tea from this plant from the Amazon, uh, they, they actually have hallucinations and visions, they would say, where they see God and they grow closer to him. I was imagining, can you imagine if we didn't look deeper into this? They wanted to do a day retreat. You just wander up to the Mariner campus on like a Saturday, look into the Burke room, and there's a bunch of people hallucinating uh, in our, <laughs> you know, walking around our facility, just <laughs> totally out of it. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this, like, can you imagine if they tried to use like our urns, like our coffee urns, right? Like, hey, we've, yeah, can we use your urns? We got this tea we're going to be serving right this morning at Mariner Campus. People are getting their coffee. They just start seeing things. We think it's a revival, right? We think the spirits have fallen upon the people. They're seeing angelic hallucinations, right? <laughs> I just thought to myself, this would always do your research, right? It's like, oh, Christian spiritualist group. Oh, yeah, of course. Sure, you can rent the building. <laughs> but for us, can we see God without drinking tea from roots in the Amazon? <laughs> and for some people, they actually do do like LSD and psychedelic drugs to try and have spiritual experiences. I believe there are ways in which we can see God. Fundamentally, we see him through the scriptures. If you look into the scriptures, we actually see a record of Jesus's life and words, including the Sermon on the Mount, which we are reading and going through in this season. And Jesus said some pretty remarkable things about himself. In John chapter 12, verse 44, he said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. He says the same thing in John chapter 14. Uh, he, they were discussing about the way to get to God. 
And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father except through me. And then Philip speaks up, hey, Jesus, would you show us the Father? We would love to see the Father. And he says, as you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That actually in him, we see in flesh and blood what God is like what he thinks, how he feels about us, his heart for us, and the way that he is calling us to live. Daryl Johnson, who is a pastor in Vancouver, a major inspiration throughout this series for many of us if we've been walking through his teaching and his books, he says this, in Jesus of Nazareth, infitude is focused. That is the infinite is focused. In Jesus, the living God takes on a face. For in Jesus, the face of the living God is made manifest, enabling the pure to see and live. Do you want to see God? It is found in the face of Jesus, as we, we, we see in the stories. But I really want to see him, though. I don't want to just see words on pages. I want to see God. One of the other ways that we see God, the scriptures tell us, is actually through nature or through creation. Now, for Port, uh, Port Moodyites, we love nature. We're surrounded by nature. Really, anyone in the Tri-Cities, for that matter, anyone who lives in Vancouver, that's true. But especially for those of us who live in Port Moody, it's just, we've got the Shoreline Trail, we have the Inlet, we have, uh, you know, the Dias Vista, Burt Flynn Park. There's just everywhere we go, literally nature was walking in front of our building earlier. You were there, if you were there earlier, a black bear just started walking past the, the front entrance here. And the scriptures tell us that it is through nature that we can see the glory of God. See, as Christians, we believe this, that God is creator, that he is the creator of the heavens and earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know exactly how he did it, but Genesis tells us that he did it. In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Psalm 104, which was the psalm we focused in on in our series, God of All Things, it's, it's verse after verse after verse declaring how the created things in this world bring glory to God. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us this in verse 20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. He's saying that the pure in heart, as they, they begin to, in their heart, look at creation, they don't just see a mountain, and we can put up a picture of a mountain, but we, we see the glory of God. Or as you look at an incredible field full of flowers in all of its beauty and its splendor, we can actually see God's invisible qualities and divine nature. Who created that? Who made that? Beauty is actually an apologetic for the existence of God. As we see something beautiful, it doesn't make sense why it's beautiful, but it is. Why? For our enjoyment. As we look at, what's the next picture? There, Shoreline Trail. 
And we're walking down the shoreline trail and we see the water, the tidal waters coming in, and the trees and the wildlife and the salmon creation. These things are supposed to reveal to us something. And for those of us who are pure in heart, we can begin to see it. The God who made it all. But the next way that we can see God, you're like, okay, I get it. That's a mountain, some flowers, that's water, but it's not God. I want to I wanna see God. Well, the scriptures tell us that we actually see God in the least of these. In the least of these. In Mark chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus, while speaking and pointing at a group of children, our kids right now, they're literally up there, some of them, uh, some of them over here. They're hearing about Jesus, they're laughing, they're having fun, they're connecting with other kids. Well, Jesus was looking at little children. Here's what he said. He said, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. They, they see me in the face of a child. Picture of my daughter here, Amy. <laughs> As we look into the face of the least of these, we can see the image of God. And we know this is true of every human being, not just children. There's something, there's a purity to children that as we look into their face, it gives us a glimpse into the transcendent one. Jesus also speaks about seeing the face of God in the marginalized. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 to 40, he said, Lord, uh, Jesus talks about the fact that those who um, cared for the poor and took care of the needy. And the disciples respond, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And he says, truly I say to you, to the extent you did to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did to me. Jesus says that, as we look into the, the face of those who are struggling and those who are marginalized, and we put up that photo, that as we look into the, the face of our friends who live on the downtown east side, as we look into the face of the people who are struggling in our community, he says, I am behind their eyes. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done for me. Jessica showed me a picture the other day from our time when we used to spend a lot of time in the downtown east side and there was a guy named Hector who we got to know from Colombia and we, we got to spend time with him and love him and pray for him and encourage him. And Jesus said that as we, as, as I, we served him, we actually saw a glimpse into the face of God. Jesus is saying that those who are pure in heart, they will see him. They will see God in the least of these. And finally, you will see God in other followers of Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, all of us are made in the image of God, and so we can see imperfect reflections of what he is like, but those of us who have become in sync with God and placed our faith in him who have been grabbed hold by the gospel, something begins to change within us. The Holy Spirit begins to transform our minds and our hearts. We start behaving in ways that are contrary to our nature. 
You might have known somebody who came to Christ. Maybe that's why you're here. And they used to, you know, every Friday night, they were just a heavy drinker, and now they've stopped drinking. Or, or maybe you've known somebody who used to just like to practice their stand-up comedy acts, you know, throughout the week, and it was rather perverse and offside, and now all of a sudden the jokes have gotten super clean. It's like, what's happening? You might have met someone who used to be obsessed with just working. They're, they're nine to five. They're putting in the hours. They're trying to accumulate wealth, and, and suddenly they've become really generous rather than close-fisted. Perhaps you've met someone who used to ha- just be like deeply anxious and all of a sudden peace has started to come out in their life. They no longer, although they look like themselves, there's something different. There's something that is changing within them. We can begin to see the person of God in the reflection of the Holy Spirit start to come out in their life if they, as they become um, just a follower of Jesus, something begins to change, sometimes slowly, sometimes very instantly. I, I know when I first came to Christ, there was all of a sudden like quite a, a dramatic change in a number of different areas of my life, but then there was other areas where it was a little bit slower. So I'm not suggesting that all of these things happen instantly for those who follow Jesus, but as God begins to work on us and sanctify us, a big word that just says being made more and more like God. We begin to see God in, in his followers. Now, I'm disappointed to say that at times we don't see God in his followers. <laughs> and I think that um, there's a lot of people who claim the title Christian or follower of Jesus who don't reflect him. And I struggle with that too. I really do. Uh, and some of you have been hurt by those kind of people actually wounded by people who said they were followers of Jesus but behaved and acted in ways that you didn't see God. Followers of Jesus are broken and distorted because of sin. But for those who have actually truly submitted their lives to God, what we should see happen is that the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in their life, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And I, for one, am still a work in progress. We should see the Beatitudes start to come out of their life. They suddenly become poor in spirit and humble and meek. Suddenly are more merciful or slowly more merciful. And here, here's something crazy. You, you might see or just noteworthy. You might see Jesus in other followers of Jesus, but the thing that most has most struck me is when I begin to see the person of God and the spirit of God in myself. And I look in the mirror and I don't, although I recognize myself and I know myself, yeah, that's my face and my beard and my eyes and the whole thing. There, there, I never used to be like that. I never used to think like that. I never used to respond in that way. And for some of you, I never used to smile that much, right? Uh, A lot of people comment about Christians, it's like this smile that shows up. I'm not saying we all need to be smiley all the time. It's not a permagrine club, right? But uh, I'm finding more joy. I'm finding more peace. These are ways that we can begin to see God. 
But here's the interesting part. It's the clincher. Is that only the pure in heart will truly be given eyes to see him in these things. It was only the pure in heart that day in Galilee as Jesus preached this sermon that could see it being fulfilled upon their hearing. It was only those whose hearts had been made clean that could see Jesus in the pages of Scripture. It was only those whose hearts had been made new can see the glory of God in creation and worship. It was only those who recognize their poorness of spirit and receive a new heart from God that can see Jesus in the poor and in the destitute. It is only those who have a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone that can see the image of God in the flesh and blood neighbors and maybe even in themselves. Only those who are pure in heart will see God. So the question is, how do we become pure in heart? And is it really possible? Is it truly actually possible? Because the Bible's pretty clear about the condition of the human heart. This is the like, you know, PG-13 section of the message. It's, it's not PG-13, let's go, 18A, okay, right? It's, it's, it's not a very good description. When it describes the human heart, it's not just speaking of an organ, but rather it's referring to the center of a person's thoughts and actions and morals and living. And the Bible says things like this about that center within us. In Jeremiah, he says, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, it's out of the heart of man that comes every type of evil behavior. And then he goes into all the qualities that you wouldn't want to see in your son or daughter-in-law. <laughs> in Genesis, God makes a pretty bleak statement regarding humankind. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. I've made this joke before, but you can you imagine if this was like a reference, right? Uh, as, I, as I looked at Cam, I saw the wickedness of him was great and every intent of his heart was only and continually evil, right? This is, this is, you wouldn't want this in a reference letter, right? But this is what God says of us. So if this is true and the condition of our hearts are this bleak and evil, is it really possible to be pure in heart? Is it really possible to see God? On your own, no. But with God, yes, all things are possible, the scriptures tell us. God looked at the condition of the world, the human heart, he wasn't content. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect and purified life. And Jesus died for us on the cross. This is why it is here. And through the cross, he took all of our iniquity, that means when we have crossed, we, we've walked across the line of sin and didn't realize it. He took all of our transgressions when we willingly said, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but did it. And he put it upon himself. He died in our place for us. And this is why the cross is central. This is why we keep talking about it. This is why we keep singing about it. Because it was through the cross that Jesus took the sin of mankind, that which corrupted our hearts. 
in order to give us grace. And as he gave us grace, something began to happen in our hearts. We were given a new heart. And this was promised long ago in Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and I will give you a tender and responsive one. He promised this. And then in the coming of Jesus, this actually became a reality. And in Acts chapter 15, the disciples and the apostles, they're arguing about what the Gentiles, these new awkward cousins they've joined the family, need to do in order to be right with God. And many of them believe it's through the laws of Moses and through doing good works. But Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles, those who have not heard the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he has confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he has cleansed their heart through faith, not through works. He has cleansed their heart through faith that those who believe in God, those who have placed their faith in God, those who have began to see God, is through that faith and that belief, that trust, something begins to change. Our hearts become cleansed by him. And this is incredibly good news <laughs> for all of us because nobody, not a single one of us on this planet can earn it or deserve it, achieve it on our own. The, the, the promise of many other worldviews and philosophies is you might do it. You might get there. The promise of Christianity is this. If you place your faith in Jesus, you can have absolute assurance that your heart has been made clean. That your heart's been made pure. And I find it really interesting with this beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But it actually requires the ability to see God to become pure in heart. So it works forwards and backwards in this really profound and divine way. This is what God wants to do in your life. He wants the weight of your sin to be taken off. He doesn't want you to carry it anymore. Your shame, your guilt, your pain, your past, your resume. He wants to take it. He does not want humanity to continually to try and strive towards something that is unattainable, a wild goose chase without a goose at the end of it. <laughs> Chasing rainbows and never finding the pot of gold. <laughs> Dave and I in Hawaii one time, we were like, oh, we should go, we should get to that rainbow, right? We're looking at this rainbow in the distance and we're driving and it kept like it, it felt like it just kept getting farther and farther away from us. It's because that's how rainbows work. <laughs> They're in the eyes of the beholder. This is not what Jesus is offering you. Some of you have heard of religion. Religion is the endless pursuit to try and get to God. What we believe in is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that even though you and I fall short time and time again, that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we can have assurance that we have become pure in heart and that we will see God. 
great author and theologian, Tim Keller, who died on Friday after a long battle with cancer. Few people have helped me to see this truth more clearly. He says in one of his books, it's inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians. And then Christians are saved by trying to trying hard to live according to biblical principles, it's more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel and then we are transformed in every part of our minds and our hearts and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, he said, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. In his book, Generous Justice, he said, for indeed, grace is the key to it all. It is not our lavish good deeds that procure salvation, but God's lavish love and mercy. He says, the great basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. This is the gospel. And I'm so grateful for Tim Keller and for his ministry and the legacy that he has left behind him. Surely no one in the last few decades has made a greater dent and given us a greater inheritance. And some of his last words, and I'll invite the band up at this time, on Thursday was one of his last prayers. And he said these words. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And less than 24 hours later, something profound happened. The thing that he had spent his life proclaiming became true for him. And he saw God face to face. One day you will see God. And the question, the question is not whether you will see him. But the question is what will the condition of your heart be when you come before him? For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, <laughs> gladness and joy will fill our hearts. Because we will see the face of a loving father who will be welcoming us home forever. What's the application today? Put your trust in Jesus. Believe the good news. You will see God. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for this truth. And Lord, I pray as we head to the table today that we recognize this is not some sacramental and religious thing that we do. But this simple bread and this simple juice represents what you have done for us on the cross. That no matter who we are or what we have done, you have made our hearts pure. And all we have to do is accept it. And so Jesus, I pray today as we come to the table
it would be an act of placing our assurance and our hope on you. And that we too could have the confidence like Tim Keller did. That on that last moment, when we close our eyes, that when they open, we will look into the face of a loving father. I thank you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.